Uh, one thing I did forget to announce that I was definitely supposed to make mention of because it is time sensitive. Women, you have a breakfast this Saturday morning. Uh, so ladies, definitely get that on your calendar. There's a sign-up sheet with more information outside the main doors, but that'll be a great time of fellowship uh, for you women coming up on Saturday. We are going to kind of continue the pause we took from our sermon series. We've been in 2 Corinthians, but last week, with it being Celebration Sunday, we looked at a name of God, uh, Elohim Chaim, the living God. And it's such a beautiful way to, to pause our hearts, to pause what can get caught up in the just the routine of a church service where you get into a series, and don't get me wrong, you guys know I love a good expositional series, right? Taking your time verse by verse, you know uh, that's my jam, but it's also wonderful and rich to pause and remember that all of this is about the Lord, that this all must be for his glory. And so we're going to continue what we started last week, just that taking a breather and, and centering ourselves on God. We're going to look at another name of God this week, uh, one that I am um, particularly excited for. I think it's a beautiful name because not only does it first and foremost point to the glory of the Lord, but then it also reminds us of our calling. And so before we dive in, if you would please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that, like we just sang, you are Lord of all. Uh, may we never lose sight of that. God, you are Lord of every single detail and aspect of this existence, and that is beautiful to behold. And so, God, as we continue to praise you and worship you with our minds, with coming under your word, may this be uh, a rich time. May this be a time that your people submit to you, that your, your people look to you, that we seek you, God, that we seek your name to be lifted high, that we seek you to be known. We trust you for these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are going to be looking at Yahweh Shalom. And shalom is a word that maybe some of us are familiar with, maybe some of us have heard before but couldn't quite say what it means. Maybe some of us are hearing this word for the first time. And Yahweh shalom, uh, one, of the, one of the first examples we see of it in Judges 6. And so if you know Gideon, if the name Gideon is familiar to you, then if you were at men's Bible study the first week, we just looked at Gideon, you'll recognize where maybe this is going. If Gideon's not familiar to you, if you don't know who Gideon is, the people of Israel were being oppressed by an enemy, much larger force, much more intimidating force, things were not good in the land, and Gideon is the runt of the litter. He is from the clan that is the smallest of all the clans. He's from the people that's the small. Like Gideon is the bench warmer in the truest sense of the word, at least in Gideon's mind. That's how Gideon views himself. That's Gideon's perspective of himself. And an angel, the Lord comes to Gideon and says, hey, I'm going to use you mighty warrior to take over, like to, to push back the enemy, to do great things. And Gideon's like, no, 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 surely not me. But before he even gets there, he's terrified that this is even happening. And in Judges 6, 24, after this has all gone on, after the Lord has said, no, hey, it's okay, I'm with you. After he has done this, it says in 624, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. And that's Yahweh Shalom. And so I want to make sure that we understand this name because Shalom means peace. But I think like so many things in our life, 
we have perhaps too narrow of a view of it, too narrow of an understanding of it. And so we're missing out on a lot of the breadth and the richness of this name, of this word. And so we're going to look at Yahweh Shalom. We're going to look at how that causes us to praise God, how it causes us to know him. And then in turn, after that, how it reflects and impacts our lives as we approach this life with a desire to glorify God. And so when we think of peace, hopefully not in the church, hopefully not for Christians, that we, we have a deeper understanding of peace. If we don't, okay. But at least for the world, I think when we talk about peace, and I say this because I was reading articles and listening things, like we tend to reduce peace to just simply the absence of conflict. If there is no current visible conflict, then there is peace. If there is visible conflict, there is no peace. And that's kind of technically true, it's like if, you know, if you said, hey, have you seen the Grand Canyon? Yeah. Oh, when'd you go visit? Well, no, I saw a picture of it. Okay, yeah, you, you've seen it, but that's not what it really is. That's not the magnitude of it. And so, yes, Ecclesiastes 3, I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss the notion of no conflict. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for war and there's a time for shalom, peace. So absolutely, peace can be equivocated to the absence of conflict. But that's not all that peace is. And so to, to understand shalom, we have to understand where this word comes from. And shalom comes from a Hebrew word, shalom. And shalom means completeness. It means soundness. And frequently, not always, but frequently, it connotates the idea of you have to make something complete that was broken. Something was sound, and then it was made unsound, and now it has to be made sound again. Listen to these verses that are all using the word shalom. And every time I'm going to pause, I'm going to add em emphasis with my voice so you know when it's the word shalom. Exodus 21, 33 to 34. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. Deuteronomy 20.12, speaking of foreign cities, but if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. Job 41.11, who is first, this is the Lord speaking, God says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And then Isaiah 57, 18, I have seen his, this is again God speaking. He says, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. And so in all these instances of shalom, you see this idea of completeness, of soundness. And in many of those cases, you see that idea of, hey, something was broken. You dug a pit, your neighbor's ox fell into it. You broke his ability to harvest his field, to plow his field. So you need to make completeness. You need to do shalom. If a city does not make peace, shalom, God says, who has given to me that I should, what, that I should repay him? Like, there's no deficit here. God talks about his people and he says, I will restore comfort. And so you have this root word shalom, this idea of making something complete, making something sound. And then from that, we naturally arrive at shalom. Genesis 43, 23, God speaking, he replied, peace to you, do not be afraid. Isaiah 57, 19, and we just read Isaiah 57, 18, so this is still the Lord speaking. In Isaiah 57, 19, he says, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. 
And then in Malachi 2, verse 6, God's talking about Levi, his priest Levi, and God says, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity. A little bit of context for the book of Malachi. If you read Malachi 1 and the rest of Malachi 2, you realize that a lot of God's priests are not getting it right. God's people are not getting it right. They've broken covenant with the Lord. And God points to Levi and he says, no, this one, he walked with me in shalom. He walked with me in completeness and soundness like he was supposed to. He says, hey, peace to you, completeness to you, well-being to you. Don't be afraid. And so in order to understand the idea of shalom, which we translate as peace, we have to go back to that it comes from the idea of completeness. It comes from the idea of something that was once broken is made sound. Okay? So now we're at this word shalom. And now we go back to the name of the Lord, Yahweh Shalom. Because once we start to wrap our mind around that peace is not getting at just an absence of conflict, it's getting at completeness, it's getting at soundness, we realize that Shalom is possible even in the presence of turmoil, disagreement, discord, strife, difficulty, tension. Because God is complete in all those things. And so if shalom is just dependent upon our external circumstances, then yeah, it's going to come and go. It's going to ebb and flow. But if shalom, talking about completeness, which comes from the Lord who is Yahweh shalom, then we realize, okay, God is talking about that peace. That, how does he describe his peace? Peace that passes what? Understanding. It's easy for the world to say, hey, you have peace. Nobody is actively at war with you. Hey, you have peace, you just got a promotion. Hey, like, it's easy for the observing world to say, hey, your life is free from any difficulty, you must have peace. That doesn't require a whole lot of deep understanding. But God promises a peace that passes understanding, and when we start to look at the word shalom itself to understand this name of God, we realize it's because he's talking about a deeper, more perfect completeness that isn't going to make sense to someone who's just looking at it from a superficial, shallow level. And so now, as we continue with this understanding of completeness, look at the depth and the richness of this name of the Lord, that he is the source of this completeness. Isaiah 9, 6. Ooh, also talk about a cool Trinitarian verse. Okay, so we've established God the Father is the God of peace, is Yahweh Shalom. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you recall our Christmas series from two years ago, we went through Isaiah 9-6 and we looked at those four things. When we got to Prince of Peace, we looked at that word for prince means the owner of, the possessor of, the captain of, the one who this is his to do with as he wants. He has authority over it. And so we see that Jesus is the authority of peace. We see that God the Father is the authority of peace. So I love that Trinitarian detail. But you've got Isaiah 9-6. You have Leviticus 26-6. The Lord is speaking and he says, I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. Psalm 85, 8 and 9. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. God is 
the source of. He is the owner of, the possessor of, the authority over peace, over completeness. Think back to the name we looked at just last week, the living God. What does Jesus say in John 10.10? I have come that they may have life and have it sparingly, have it meagerly, have it doled out just a little bit. No, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Some translations may say have it in fullness, the full measure of life, the idea of the complete essence of it. Because this is who God is. It flows from him. It is his nature. It is his name. And so then what does he go on to say? He says, I will give it to my people. I will speak it to my people. Why? Because it's his. It's not found anywhere else. It's found only in Yahweh Shalom, completeness, soundness. And then be encouraged by, be delighted to hear that this is God's heart for people. God's heart is soundness. God's heart is that what was broken would be restored, that there would be completeness. Listen to what it says. Listen to what he says in his word in scripture. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare, shalom. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. God delights in the shalom of his servant. Your completeness in him, your soundness, God delights in. It's not like, okay, fine. You said what you're supposed to say, so I guess I have to give. No, God delights in this. He, bring, he, he derives joy from this. 1 Kings 2, 33. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. God promises this to David in his line. Then you jump to the New Testament, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, Sam. We're talking about Hebrew words. The New Testament was not written in Hebrew. Great observation. It was written in Greek, possibly Aramaic, depending on the section. But in this section, it was written in Greek. So why are we talking about this? Well, do you remember the sermon? We've done this a couple times. We've looked at it a couple times in different ways. When we've looked at that Greek word for, for peace, it comes from the Greek word iro. We get irone. And what does that Greek word mean that gives us peace, that we translate peace? The same as this Hebrew word shalom that we translate peace. That Greek word for this means to make whole. And so when it's talking about the peace from the Lord, it's talking about only God's ability to perfectly make something whole again. So when you look at the biblical word for peace, when you look at the biblical language, the language of Scripture, we see that Old Testament to New Testament, when God is talking about peace, he is reminding his people, hey, I restore, I make complete, I make sound, I make whole what was broken. And so we see it in Romans 5.1. We also see it in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. So when we study this idea of peace, this idea of shalom, when we look at this name of God, Yahweh Shalom, we see that not only is this who he is, the very source, the very essence of, of completeness is God. We see that he delights to give it to his people. 
Why? Because it brings him joy to see his people restored to right relationship with him, to be made whole. I mean, Jesus chose. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own authority. Jesus chose the cross so that we could have peace with God. It's incredible to think that the Lord, in his sovereignty, in his wholeness, in his fullness, in his completeness, because pause, if God is complete, if God is Yahweh Shalom, if God is sound, if this is who he has been from the beginning of time, for instance, before time began, before he spoke things into existence, if God is Yahweh Shalom, then that says he doesn't need us. The Trinity didn't need us. The triune God does not need us. Why? Because he, God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they were complete. They were not lacking anything. And so he chose us. He loves us. And in that, in choosing to give us life, in choosing to speak this into existence, in choosing to make this world, he gives us the opportunity for restoration. Jesus through Jesus, we have peace with God. I mean, think about that really for a second. You were eternally broken, separated from the Lord because of your sin. And God said, no, I choose to offer shalom. I choose to offer Irenae. I mean, it's, it's incredible to see how who he is flows into his behavior, into what he does for us. And then what's it say? What have we looked at? already when we talked about earlier a few moments ago that peace cannot be dependent on circumstances alone. What does it say in 2 Thessalonians 3.16? Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. God says, look, I am the Lord of peace myself. I offer peace at all times in every way. I offer completeness. I offer soundness. Life does not always lend itself well to remembering this. Life does not always contribute to making it easy to stay focused on this. Life is not free from turmoil. Life is not free from difficulty. Life is not free from st stress, from tension, from conflict. So how do we stay focused on this? Because I believe that if God says, hey, this is who I am, this is what I offer, peace to you at all times in every way, okay, I'm going to take God at his word when he says that. So then I'm going to maybe naturally ask, maybe I find myself asking, maybe I find myself crying out, okay, Lord, I believe you are Yahweh Shalom. I believe you are the source of completeness. I don't remember that right now. Help me with this. What can I do to stay focused on this, to stay centered on this? What scriptures say? You keep him in perfect what? Peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Lord, life is trying to get my mind off of you. I need help with this sense of completeness. Well, What's God say? What's Scripture say? He talks about it. Psalm 34, 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We've talked about this idea in Scripture when it talks about seeking and pursuing. Those were hunting words. The idea of someone making plans, laying in wait actively. Hey, I have to take ownership of tracking this down, of chasing my prey. So right away in Psalm 34, we see that, okay, you know what? Yeah, life is going to distract us from this. We have to seek peace. We have to seek after these things. And now look, when it says seek peace and pursue it, God's not dangling a carrot on a string, you know, just trying to get us to run a little bit further along. Like, please don't think that salvation is something that you have to constantly be questioning and things like that. Like, for those of us who have believed, 
Romans 5.1, we're at peace with God, okay? But when we're looking at our lives practically, when we're looking at our thought life, when we're looking at our heart, when we're looking at the way we go about day to day, the way we interact with those in our lives, are we seeking after completeness? Are we pursuing, maybe the better word to use here from the definition is, are we pursuing what will make for soundness? Are we looking for it? Are we going after it? This is what Psalm 34 says. How are ways we can go about this? Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who, okay? Great peace. So if you're someone who you're listening to this, if you're listening online, if you watch this later, whenever, whatever, if you're someone who you're like, man, I don't know if I would describe most of my days as peaceful, as being blessed with a completeness, a soundness. That's not where my mind dwells. That's not where my emotions dwell. Listen, okay? Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I just, I just want to hear from God. I have a big decision to make. I'm asking a question. I, I just want to hear from the Lord. If only God would speak to me. How many times have we said that? I'm just, I'm looking for something from God. I'm looking for a word from God. What did we look at last week? A bunch of the disciples leave Jesus. Jesus starts teaching hard stuff. Jesus starts saying hard things. And a bunch of people abandon him. And Jesus turns to the apostles and he says, you too, are you going to leave? What did we look at with the name of God, the living God? What does Peter say to Jesus? He says, Lord, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You want to hear from God? He's spoken. He's written you a massive letter. Do you love it? Do you cherish it? Do you treasure it? We have a fireproof safe at home. We're responsible adults. There are some things that you don't want to burn up, right? You know what the very first thing that I put in that fireproof safe was? A box, a little box I have of all the notes and letters Adeline's written me over the years. Why? Because I cherish her words. I love them. I don't want anything to happen to them. I want to protect them. My wife is wonderful. She's my best friend on this whole planet. Her words are nothing compared to God's word. Like, do you love his word? Do you treasure it? Do you store it up in your heart? Do you meditate on it day and night? Do you contemplate it? When you go out, when you come in, do you teach it to your children on the road as you're walking? You're probably not walking on roads anymore. As you're driving, do you teach it to your children? As a kid, I would get so, my brother, sister, and I, we would get so exasperated with my dad and my mom because they were constantly pausing movies or muting the TV or like, hey, take your headphones out if we're in the car, right? Because they just said something that we need to talk about from a scriptural standpoint. And it was like, no, just, okay, can we finish the movie? And then you like, but no, it was, it was constantly like my parents took Deuteronomy seriously where it says, hey, every moment of your day be teaching these things. So now I have this habit instilled in me. It's like, a, you know, the go you go to the doctor and they hit your knee and your leg kicks. I have a knee reflex. If I hear sirens, I physically, my body shuts down and stops what I'm doing to pray for those sirens. Because that was what my parents did. It didn't matter what we were doing. It was, hey, you hear sirens? Someone needs help. What scriptures say? Go to the Lord in prayer for all things. Take your headphones out. Stop reading. Stop playing your Game Boy. Like, whatever it is, we got to pray. 
Guys, do you, do you love his word? Do you orient your days around it? Well, I try and read it in the nights. Well, are you a nighttime person? No. Well, then stop trying to read it at night. Read it in the morning. Well, I'm a, I'm a night person, and reading it in the morning is just hard. For, okay, then read it. Like, do you love his word? Do you know it? Do you have it ready? Is it, is it ready to fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God? I mean, Psalm says, great peace have those who love your law. They will not stumble. We've talked about this before. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're honest enough. Maybe you're self-aware enough to say, I don't. I'm not going to say it publicly, but I don't. Then please, friends, just start praying, Lord, teach me to love your word. Teach me to crave it. Teach me to desire it. Teach me to treasure it, to cherish it. Great peace have those who love your law. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Again, Jesus possesses this. God possesses this. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is directly tied to Jesus' talking about peace? He says, my peace I leave, my peace I give. Not like the world does but my peace I give to you. What's he go on to say? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Do not allow them to be troubled. Who's in control? You or your heart. You or your thoughts. And when I say you, I'm talking about you, the sanctified and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, being made to look more and more like Jesus. When I talked at uh, MCS, Mansfield Christian, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the idea of fear, and we looked at Isaiah 41.10. What does God say through Isaiah in Isaiah 41.10? He says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God does not throw that out there as suggestions. God does not say like, hey, on your best day, maybe don't be afraid. Like God says, no, do not be afraid. Fear not. Take ownership of it. Take the decision of it. What does it say here? Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is hard. This is, this is difficult. This is not automatic. This is not easy. Just this past weekend, I found myself, my heart was spiraling. And it was like, whoa, wait a minute. This is a broken line of thinking. Right? Go back to shalom, go back to the definition, go back to what God says about his word. And it was like, whoa, this is, this is a bad, bad thought process. This does not lead to anything complete. This does not lead to anything that I would describe sound. Stop it. What did we look at a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians related to this? The idea of spiritual warfare is a battle for truth and directly tied to that. What does God say in 2 Corinthians? He says, take every thought captive. So it's not easy, but Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Okay, Jesus, that's hard. Well, it's a good thing Jesus went on to talk more about it. What's Jesus say in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, grab hold of it, of that courage, that rejection of fear. 
That decision to, no, I will not let my heart be troubled. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. He has said these things. Well, guess what? Then know these things. So that when the thoughts start to spiral, when the heart is tempted towards fear, we can say, whoa, 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 hold up. That's not what he said. That's not what Jesus said. That that does not sound at all like Jesus' voice. What does he say in John 10? Let's go back to that beautiful chapter on Jesus as the great shepherd. He says, what? My sheep know me. My sheep know my voice. So one of the ways we take heart One of the ways we don't let our hearts be troubled is by recognizing anything that is not from Christ. By recognizing anything that does not lead to completeness, does not lead to soundness, is not from the Prince of Peace, Yahweh Shalom. What does Scripture say? Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. So if you've got that thought that pops in, that starts to spiral, that threatens your peace, that threatens your shalom, that threatens your irony, start to ask yourself, train yourself to ask yourself, knee-jerk reaction. Wait, hey, is this pure? Is this lovely? Is this praiseworthy? Is this trustworthy? Is this true? If the answer is no, okay, take it captive, throw away the prison key. Think on Christ. Set our heart on Christ. So again, who controls you? The Holy Spirit in you? Or your heart, your emotions, your thoughts. He says, take heart. So church, let's take heart. Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Okay, Sam, back up. I know you talked about, like, my heart, my mind, don't let it control me. That's hard, right? Like, I don't think I can. No, you can't. Not on your own. You're not on your own. We're not on our own. Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is leading us. God has given his word to us. So what guards my heart? What guards my mind? Me and my own strength? Oh, I'm dead on my feet. What guards my heart? What guards my mind? The peace of God. What is directly tied to that? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I'm I'm talking real practical now. Like literally, this is what I did. Let's go back to that story a moment ago. Just this past weekend, this is what I did. As my thoughts are spiraling, I was like, whoa, this is not holy. This is not complete. This is broken. Okay, okay, God, Guard my heart, guard my mind. If anything is praiseworthy, Sam, what do you have to praise God for in your life right now? And I just started listing everything I could think of to praise God for. It was okay, make your request with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What do you have to be thankful for? And I'm just listing it and I'm listing it and I'm listing it. And I'm trying to come up with as many things as I can think of. And before I know it, I am so far down the road of praise and gratitude, I don't even remember what was trying to derail me. Like, let God, let God guard your heart and your mind. Make the request with prayer and supplication. We can't be afraid to go to the Lord and ask him for these things. That's why I said earlier, if you don't love his word, well, then ask him for it. If you don't dwell on peaceful things, if you don't dwell on pure things, if you don't dwell on noble things, then ask him for it. What does Jesus say? He says, who among you, if your child came to you and asked you for a loaf of bread, would hand him a rock instead? Or if he asked him for a fish, would give him a serpent? How much better does your Father in heaven not know how to give you good things? I've said this before. I would would be so heartbroken. Like, it would crush me 
if I found out my daughter needed something, and I was like, honey, why didn't you ask me? And she said, well, I didn't think you cared enough to give it to me. That would, that would kill me inside. Man, how many times does God's bride, God's church, God's people not bring him our supplications because God's too busy for me? Right? Maybe we grew up with a dad who was too busy for us. Maybe we grew up with people in our lives, parents in our lives, who they didn't have time for us. They weren't interested in it, right? Okay, you do your thing, kid. I'm going to do my thing, and never the two shall meet. So maybe we learned growing up, like, hey, I can't go to God. I got to do, like, self-sufficient, self-reliant, right? I'm enough. I'm tough enough. I, I can do, like, maybe we learned that we can't go to God. Like, guys, please listen to his word and hear him say, make your request. Make your supplication. God says, ask me. Let's ask him. What's wrong with saying, Lord, I believe you are Yahweh Shalom. I want to dwell on things that are pure and noble and true and praiseworthy and excellent, but it's hard. Can you guard my heart so that I can think on your things, so that I can dwell in your th thoughts? With thanksgiving, we never lose the gratitude. We never lose the praise. But when we actually apply what God says in his word, I mean, you see how it's all connected. He talks about this time and time again. And then finally, if we need one more reminder, one more exhortation from Scripture, from the Lord, Colossians 3.15a, first half of Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Who's on your throne? If I profess with my mouth that Jesus is on the throne, but in my heart, my fear is on the throne, my worry is on the throne, my self-sufficiency is on the throne, my self-reliance is on the throne, my self-dependence is on the throne. No, Colossians 3 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Doesn't it seem foolish when we consider this? I mean, if I'm being really honest with myself, it's like, wait a minute, why would I choose anything else? Because we get distracted, because we get afraid, because we take our eyes off God, we take our eyes off the Lord, we take our eyes off of his things, we take our hearts off of his things, and then it seems too daunting to work back. And then, well, is God just disappointed in me? If my church family knew, would they be disappointed in me? Like, it, it just seems like this big insurmountable thing the longer we let it go. And God says, like, no, let my peace rule in your hearts. My peace will guard your heart. My peace will guard your mind. I give this to my people. I speak this to my people. I promise this to my people because I am the source of this. This is what the Lord says. And so it's okay. Am I going to praise him as Yahweh El Shalom or Yahweh Shalom? Am I going to know him as Yahweh Shalom? Am I going to submit to him as Yahweh Shalom? Or am I going to keep trying to do it on my own? I mean, guys, like, he lays it out for us. We, we just line up under his marching orders. And then how does this impact our lives on this planet? You know, we've talked about it guards our hearts, it guards our minds. The joy of the peace that passes understanding, the safety of that, the completeness of that. I mean, is there anybody who wants to remain broken? No. Does anyone want to remain, like, how many of you would be proud to say, like, hey, my house, it's structurally unsound. I deliberately choose to leave it that way. You want to come over? Nope. 
Not so much. My car, it is totally unsound. Sam, there's smoke coming under your hood. Yeah, I like it like that. No, we don't want anything to remain broken. And so the question is, are, are we humble enough to say, hey, I'm broken. God, I need you to restore this. I've been trying to pursue completeness on my own. I might be a Christian. I may be following. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about your place in heaven. I'm talking about your day-to-day life as a believer. Remember what we have professed to be true. Find completeness in Yahweh Shalom. Love his word. Love prayer. Go to a minute. Let him rule. This is, this is who he is. It's what he promises. But then practically, not just personally, but now practically, as we talk about the way we relate with one another, we're going through that series in 2 Corinthians. We said one of the themes of 2 Corinthians is, is our eternal identity, our eternal role. But then we've looked at how our eternal identity and our eternal role directly shape and define our earthly role, whatever role that may be in. Husband, dad, wife, mother, aunt, uncle, cousin, nephew, sister, brother, factory worker, manager, teacher, like whatever. Whatever your temporary role is, it's temporary because one day you're going to die or Jesus is going to come back. So in that temporary role, how does this peace define that? How does this peace shape that as we want to know Yahweh Shalom and make Yahweh Shalom known? Consider James 3. Listen to these verses. This is James 3, starting in 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? And we want to be thought of as wise and understanding. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. It comes back to jealousy and selfish ambition. What's at the heart of both jealousy and selfish ambition? Here's a hint. It's in the first half of selfish ambition. Self. Ego. I mean, let's unpack jealousy just real quick. Real quick, let's unpack jealousy. What is jealousy? I want what she has. Okay? I like that phone. I want that phone. It's, not, it's better than my phone. Okay, well, wh- well what's the problem? Is, am I, is my phone broken? Or is it just not as good as her phone? So jealousy, now we're starting, as we unpack jealousy, we're starting to get to a lack of contentment with what we have. Well, what's underneath a lack of contentment? I deserve better. I deserve more. I am owed better. I am owed more. You're telling me I don't work as hard as you do? I deserve that. Like, what it's really getting to when we unpack jealousy, we get to a lack of contentment. When we get to a lack of contentment, we get to, hey, I believe that I am inherently owed something. Let's go back to Scripture. Let's go back to this idea of peace, of shalom. What does it say? Who is given to the Lord that the Lord must repay him? None of us are owed anything. But when we lose sight of that, when we make ourself God, when we put ourselves on the throne, we say, no, I am owed this. I am do this. I am like, you owe me. Pay up. Now we're getting to jealousy. Now we're getting to selfish ambition. What happens when jealousy and selfish ambition do what? What's James say? Rule in our hearts. That's there's disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Huh. Like when scripture says, hey, if anything is pure, think on that. The wisdom from above is pure. Then what? Peaceable, 
gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So when we're talking about this idea of peace, this idea of completeness, this idea of wholeness, and we're talking about knowing God as Yahweh Shalom and how this affects our lives, yes, there's that personal blessing, but then there's also a beautiful, wonderful, incredible, don't pass this up, don't miss it, opportunity to be a blessing to those around us. To be the people who make peace, who sow peace, who say the things that lead to completeness, who say the things that lead to soundness, who live in such a way that points to the completeness of God alone, who behave in such a way, who live in such a way that it lends testimony to the wholeness, the soundness offered in Christ and Christ only. So understanding is Yahweh Shalom should cause us to praise him. It should cause us to worship him. Knowing Yahweh Shalom should cause us to have strength and joy and confidence in our own lives. And knowing Yahweh Shalom should also cause us to directly live in such a way that proclaims this same truth to the world around us, desperate for something, for anything to fix their brokenness. My wife and I were just talking about celebrity worship on one of our walks this week. I'm not trying to make fun of any, like, this is, just, this is just a genuine fact, right? Like, there was a famous musician who maybe started dating a football player. <laughs> she showed up to the stadium to cheer him on. Viewership of the game went up by 65%. Ticket sales went up by 300% just so they could maybe see a human 300 feet away from them on the TV screen. I mean, don't tell me this world isn't desperate for someone, for anything to fix their brokenness, to give them a sense of identity, to give them a sense of purpose. Don't tell me the world isn't desperate to know shalom, isn't desperate to know Irenae. So knowing Yahweh Shalom should drive us to our knees and praise him. Knowing Yahweh Shalom should stand us on our feet in confidence. And knowing Yahweh Shalom should drive our actions as we seek to be those people who make peace and point to the completeness of Christ and Christ alone. As you consider Yahweh Shalom, my friends, it's a name of God that helps us worship him. And it's a name of God that should remind us of his heart for us and his blessing for us, for those who know him. Consider Numbers 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord... Friends, hear this. Please hear this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you completeness. Give you soundness. As we consider these things, as we, as we recognize and grapple with the realities of life that try and pull us away from these things, let's read Isaiah 26 and 54. I mean, let's love his word. What does it say? Like, great peace have those who love your word. Man, I'm excited for you to read Isaiah 26 and 54 this week. And then just rest. 
Rest in the completeness that God offers. Rest in the soundness that God offers, knowing that whatever pops up, whatever comes along that threatens to wreck that, threatens to diminish that, threatens to tarnish that, none of it stands up to God and his peace. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we praise you. You are complete. You are sound. In your love, in your mercy, in your compassion, in your grace, you paid our penalty. You paid our price so that we may have peace with you. May we never take that for granted. May we never take that lightly. May we never take that casually and take our eyes off of it. Keep us centered on you. Keep our minds on you. Lord, and then we trust when we obey you, when we know you, when we worship you in these ways, when we follow you, when we let your peace rule in our hearts, Lord, we trust that you will give it because you are good. And more so than any of us in our ego think we can, you alone can give out good, perfect goodness. And so we praise you for being Yahweh Shalom. We are grateful that your name is Yahweh Shalom. Lord, forgive us for when we take our eyes off of that. Forgive us for when we allow fear to rule in our hearts, when we allow our hearts to be troubled. Forgive us. And Lord, we ask that you bring us back to Yahweh Shalom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.